You're listening to Rally DNA, the new podcast where we go behind the scenes of the world of rallying to share some stories from the people who best know them, people involved with the sport. Between drivers, engineers and anyone involved with the cars, we bring to you some unique insights and great stories. Joining us this week for the inaugural episode of Rally DNA is a man who was involved with the most successful rallying programme of all time, and no, not a Lancia, but in fact the Polo or WRC, Richard Brown. Richard has an extensive career working as an engineer with Volkswagen Motorsport and previous to that a number of years at ProDrive and with me on hosting duties is the Gravel Crew's Jamie Erkel. Richard, thanks for giving up the time to, to talk to us on the way from Germany. No problem at all. Happy to, happy to contribute. Thank you very much. So, uh, Richard, do you mind if we uh, touch a little bit about how you got involved in motorsport as a, you know, as a, as a thing originally? Presumably rallying <laughs> yeah um so there was no motorsport or or rally uh, in my family um as a young boy uh, i grew up in a small village fireys just outside killarney so rally of the lakes is relatively close and the rockfield stage in particular runs really close so with some with some friends um we used to cycle to that particular stage at least to the flins forge a particular kind of a crossroad and i can remember fairly clearly uh, the first time I went to inspect it, um, so there was a double O car, a Connie Smith, it was a jet black car with black wheels and he put down two black lines of rubber and I thought, oh, this is pretty good. Uh, and then I think the next, uh, yeah, so the first car on the road then was Andrew Nesbitt, I think that year. And then he came around and put four black lines of rubber down on the ground. So I think from that moment on, I was, I was hooked at least on rally, I think. So it was, it was captivating for me. <laughs> What, what was uh, Nesbitt, Nesbitt in at the time? Can you recall? Uh, it was a 185 Celica. Yeah. yeah, nice. Nice. Halcyon days. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's where it began. I think the weather was good that, that time. And, uh, you know, that, that if you know this area, that's a big, uh, it's downhill 90 right, slight downhill again into a big wide open hairpin. And then, you know, the, a lot of the guys were letting it out and letting it loose. Some of them, the, the other guys that were concentrating on their stage time was a bit more neat and tidy, but it was, yeah, for a young boy, maybe about 14 years of age, who had cycled up to the crossroads for his first rally, uh, it was, this was something. <laughs> it was really something. <laughs> so, yeah, from then on, I was, I was kind of hooked. But to be honest, um, you know, I never thought I'd make a career of it. Um, it was just a pastime or a, an interest. Um, so I grew up on a farm. Uh, always liked machines, machinery, like taking things apart and putting them back together. Um, and I did, after my leaving certificate, I did uh, mechanical engineering in Cork in CIT. I did that for two, two years. Um, and while I was in the US for the summer on a J-1 visa, I used to su subscribe to an old magazine um, called CCC. It's called Cars and Car Conversions. So yeah, it dates back a long time, but it was... Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was interesting for me because it was always a case of putting a bigger engine in a smaller car and people doing it at home, and it was it was it was an interesting magazine. So, but there, uh, really a really small, short piece of text. There was a a young, I think it was a young kid. He was writing into the edit editors of the magazine saying, "Thank you for the previous uh, what's it called? Previous um, issue of the magazine." Say, um, because he explained in the previous issue all about the motorsport engineering courses available in the UK. And I didn't know that there was even such a course existed at this time. So 
there and then I started to look and research it. And I think, yeah, from there, I had already maybe changed my career from mechanical engineering to, to I, wanted, I wanted to go this direction. So I didn't go back to Cork. Um, I went to the Autosport show in uh, the NEC in Birmingham. Because there, instead of driving around the UK looking at colleges and talking to them, you can meet all the colleges in one place. So I met all of them, and I had a, I had a good. I think I got four based on this UCA system in the UK. I got, yeah. I applied with my results from, from Cork, and I had four four offers. But I had a really good feeling with Swansea, um, Swansea University. At the time, it was called uh, SIHE, was a Higher Institute of Education, but I think it's changed its name one or two times by now, but they were really, really helpful. And they said they had a three-year intensive degree course. Um, and based on my previous experience and results that uh, I could fast track the first year, but I had to enter in the normal way. And then basically the first week you come to the office and we'll look again and we'll see if there's space and we'll, we'll see what can be done. And they did that. They were true to their words. So, and they couldn't be more helpful. They were really, really good. Um, so yeah, that's, there was the career change for me. Um, it, there was plenty of advice, I think, from home and things as well to maybe not go the motorsport route because it was pigeonholing yourself at your career and you could only do that. And there wasn't so much in Ireland, so you'd have to look abroad. And um, whereas mechanical engineering is extremely broad, you can, you know, you can go from bridges to steelworks to machines to tr ships or trucks or whichever. But it's what I wanted to do, and it seemed far more interesting than, than yeah, designing a bolt on a bridge. So um, <laughs> yeah, I did that, and it was fantastic. Honestly, the the city was fantastic. The people are fantastic there. The university was great, uh, and it suited me that course as well. It was a bit more hands-on, um, building, designing, you know, failing, uh, running the dyno. Uh, it was all a bit a bit more a good mix, let's say, of theory and practical. Mm -hmm. um so that was yeah i really enjoyed that that course um so then from there i i think like a lot of people i think unless you have good contacts it's difficult to get your first start out of university even with a motorsport degree it's difficult to get your break and i probably spent six months i guess writing cvs and trying and this is what i was doing from back home in ireland at the time and a friend of mine who i'd lived with in university his dad had a race team in Oxford and he'd kind of retired from competitive racing and he was doing more uh, preparation of track day cars and uh, historic cars and more relaxed motorsport, let's say. Um, so, but, but one of his customers had a son who showed some promise and they wanted to give him a go in Carrera Cup in the UK for, for one year and see what, what he could do. So, and they needed to build up the team a bit because there was only um, the team owner and his son, which was my, my buddy from university. So they asked me if I was interested and I said straight away, yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> so yeah, not, um, and it was fantastic because in a small team, you do everything, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're, you're up at 4 a.m. and you're trailering the, the car to the race circuit and then you unload the car and you have to do the final prep and you do your scrutineering, you do, you do everything, everything that needs to be done. And if you don't know, you'll, you'll learn, you'll figure it out. Um, so, and there was no one in the team at that point that was doing the data acquisition. So, and I had a laptop and I said, I'd like to learn, I'd like to try. So that's kind of where I started in, in that direction. Mm -hmm. And I did, even in university, I did have a bit of a, bit of a vision of what I wanted to be and where I wanted to be. Um, 
so like uh, I suppose everyone at the time was watching uh, RPM Motorsport with the the Irish Championship, and the Irish Championship was strong. Then you know there was plenty of money in Ireland, and there was plenty of new cars. You know there were always uh, a lot of Subarus, a lot of uh, uh, focus at the time. So it was a strong championship. Um, and I remember watching RPM and looking at a ProDrive engineer. There was an image of a ProDrive engineer with his laptop on the back of the big rear wing doing some calibration changes. And that's that was that was my, you know, that was my vision or my image of kind of what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a race engineer, mm -hmm. but it's it's not easy, you know, to get any any particular job at your start in in motorsport, and then you might grab anything, mm -hmm. and you might find it difficult to change afterwards. But I have been, I must say, I've been lucky. All the steps I've made have been really really lucky. So I was with this uh, this team, uh, RH Motorsport. It was in Abingdon in, in Oxford. And we did Carrera Cup for a year. And we did um, a lot of really interesting historic cars. So old Group C cars like a 962, 956 Porsches. Um, some beautiful, uh, it was a Nissan R90 CK, a Lola chassis with a fantastic engine. It was beautiful cars. Um, some old Arrows A10 F1 cars as well. These are all, uh, yeah, just you know, owners uh, that drive them once or twice a year. I mean, you prepare them, but you have to crack test all the suspension every year to make sure because it's so, it's quite old. All the stuff, it's difficult to get tires for these things now and things. So, it was really broad uh, first year, let's say, in motorsport. Really good. And then uh, this job appeared in advertised by ProDrive, and basically they were looking at the time. I think. They had to replace some people. Some people had moved on. Some people had moved up to the rally team, and they were looking for four rally engineers for for their customer department. So I had a friend who had applied, um, and yeah, he got his result back. He didn't get the job, and I just said to him, "I'd, I'd also, I'd like to, I'd like to apply, uh, put my CV in, and I think, yeah, maybe my passport, my face fit. I'm not sure because." I think it helped maybe a lot of the cars were being sold into the Irish market at the time. Yeah. I'm sure it didn't hurt, I think. So, um, yeah, I got an interview. The interview went quite well. It was not the easiest of interview, but it went. I felt it went okay. And I got the I got the job at, with ProDrive. And this that would have been 2006, 2007 kind of time. This was, uh, this was seven, I think, yeah, seven, because we had the we were one year behind with the sales cars. So we had the 06 S12. Yeah for sale to the customers in 07. So it was um, Easter Easter weekend when I started on, on 07. So yeah, I started there and what a what a baptism of fire. Yeah. Uh, I, maybe it's maybe it's the way to do it, I think, because you find out who's, you know, you find out really quickly if someone's up to the up to the task or not. So my background, let's say with the 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 team in Abingdon would be fairly basic data acquisition, but not so much calibration changes and control software. Um, and then we went straight into my first event was three weeks. I had three weeks training in the factory and then passport, laptop, cables, charger, let's go. <laughs> so and it was a brand, swim. Yeah, <laughs> brand new S12 that went to Lee McCarthy. Um, and it was the car was up with uh, Derek McGeehan up the north, and then we first event was oh, I, I, well, I'm not sure now. First event maybe it was in the Midlands, I think it could be. 
But um, yeah, so I mean, the S12 it was a very complicated car at the time, active differential um, in the center. Launch control was extremely tunable. Um, engine calibration was aggressive at the time, you know, and the customers liked it. Um, difficult to drive car at the time as well, but but the customers really, really liked this uh, response from the anti-leg. Uh, it was a good customer car. Maybe it wasn't the most successful rally car, but for, for certain markets and Irish market, I think it was a decent, decent enough customer car. It wasn't so bad. It's um, not the easiest to drive, I think, no. Uh, but yeah, what a difference between, let's say, doing fairly simple data acquisition to really, truly running a world rally car with yeah, three weeks training. It was... It was yeah. You you find out if you're able or not. I think quickly. I suppose yeah. the. Sorry, go on. Yeah. So yeah, um, that was yeah. We, we, I think the the interesting thing with Projev at the time they were running all the all we what we called all the tag cars. So they were tag McLaren uh, ECUs, and they were from 2004 onwards. So S10, S11, S12. Uh, and that was when I joined them. And then, of course, as, as I remained there, we came S12B, S12C, and S14 for customers. Um, and they, yeah, they were really, I mean, the, the S10, S11 was a really interesting car to work on because it had active differentials front, center, and rear. It had water injection um, and water spray in the inlet manifold. Uh, it had launch control. It had uh, selective gears based on you know, how long the straight was. The driver could choose if it was auto shift first to second, second to third. And when it came out of all this, it was, it was, they were, they were really, really interesting cars. <laughs> they were a bit daunting at the beginning, let's say, but uh, when you got your teeth into them and understood them and you had to be careful as well with your, because the, the, the software had evolved and it was quite complicated. So you had to be careful with what you were changing. You had to go, you could do your homework before you started playing around. But I think the customer liked this because it was also fully open, the software. So the car was extremely tunable for the customers and it was, it was working well, I think, with them. The cars we were running, you know, from a racetrack in Italy for like, let's say Rally Monza just full circuit all the way to rough tarmac in Ireland to gravel to snow. It was, yeah, they were, it was really, really interesting. I suppose the, the nature of, of, you know, how you when your career took off means that you had to be very adaptable for this kind of thing anyway, because you kind of would have been into the teeth of, of peak WRC cars in terms of technology and what they were allowed to do, you know, I mean, yeah. anything was on the table pretty much in that period. Yeah, there was there was no boost limit in that in that period. It was two liter and it was thirty four millimeter restrictor, but there was no boost limit. So, you know, the, the S twelve in particular, when you when the driver was coming into a hairpin and he brought the RPM down really really low to take the the hairpin. I mean, uh, we saw you know over four bar boost in the intercooler and inlet manifold then. And then at that particular car, then when the driver wanted everything, it it gave the driver everything. The drivability was maybe not the most pri prioritized uh, item there. It was really all about response and torque. And I mean, it's it's also with the philosophy of teams and tire wear and uh, the software had evolved in the in the rally team. And then we would we would inherit essentially what they ran in maybe Wales Rally GB, whatever was the last the last event. We would do all the different fuel calibrations for customer. Uh, and the customer fuels were often better than WRC. So at the time in 
2007, there was a fuel called Shell STR, and it, well, it was it was making maybe 40 or 50 newton meters more than the WRC fuel. Oh. Yeah, so it was. Yeah, it was the customer was getting a pretty good car at that time. Yeah, yeah, and I think ProDrive at the time had a, a contract system, so the cars were locked between event. The customer entered into um, a contract with ProDrive, and then we arrived. We unlocked the car put the proper engine map in, put the proper transmission map in, and then we were monitoring it every service and during a test, and we did all the correct run-up to make sure all the systems were running well beforehand. Because it was it was quite a complicated car, especially as the cars became a little bit older. You know, uh, as long as they were following the service schedule, it was okay. But if, if events like if gearboxes start to get a bit older and O-rings and there's some leakage past there, yeah, you had to be on top of them. So it was it was busy for the engineer, but I think the customer liked this because he felt he was getting a lot for his money, and it also covered him on on eventual uh, you know stuff that he didn't plan on, whether it's a turbo failure or whatever. It was covered under the warranty, so it was a win-win, I think, for ProDrive and for the customers at that time. And yeah. also, I think with Rally as a culture, there wasn't so much engineering support. Mm-hmm. Um, we joked a bit in the office, like you. In, in racing, you wouldn't take a, a Formula 3 car off the trailer without an engineer. But in, in rally, a lot of people would take a world rally car and just drive it with no engineer. It's the, yeah. it's the I think it's a bit the nature and the, the nostalgia of the sport as well, I think, that you can have a rally car in your in your garage and you can take it out once a year. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it, it, it sort of, I guess it harks back to the sort of the grassroots nature of rally. You know, it, it can be, as, it is far removed from that at so many levels but because everyone's start point at some level is that sort of grassroots entry point it must be it's probably hard to shed it (laughs) yeah i think so and then like so 2011 became the new regulations then so we went to 1.6 liter um yeah smaller restrictor less power but the car was lighter and it was far more drivable and i think the fiesta in maybe finland the fiesta was already uh that year is already beating the stage times of the two liter car so yeah quickly quickly i think the the corner speed went up the power was a bit less the torque was much much less because of the there was a boost limit now and also the cc the 1600 instead of two liter so the torque was much less but the drivability was much better i think um and then then that became a bit more of a driver's driver's car uh, rather than out and out horsepower torque uh, race to the next corner like the previous generation was and when you look well when we look back now at the two liter cars they seem they seem so so lazy and so big in, mm. in comparison to let's say the the 2011 onwards uh, generation the first the first 1.6 liter cars when you look at them they for us at least uh, they seem a bit slow a bit lazy but but at the time they were far they were nothing they were nothing like that they were they seemed ferocious at the time the two liter cars i think i still struggle to sort of like mentally get my head around the fact that uh, that, that the sheer passage of technology and time you know in, in it's a 20 year period so of mm-hmm. course things have come on leaps of band and the things yeah. from 2000 are positively ancient and old hat but because yeah. Of, of the origins and how tech and heavy it seemed at the time i sort of struggled mm. to disassociate that <laughs> yeah yeah i think so um but there was, it brings its own challenges and let's say the next generation of cars then so i was with prodrive still when the mini uh was running so 2011 i think um 
and they introduced the customer cars were almost introduced the same time as the, the rally team. So they didn't have a huge amount of funding for the development or for running the works team, but they were really trying to, to get yes, sponsors and to get uh, mini BMW interested. And, and, the, and the car was a good, it was actually, it was a decent enough tarmac car. It was quite a good tarmac car, to be honest, um, maybe a bit underpowered in comparison to the others. Um, and ProDrive really f kind of followed the spirit of the regulations that the FIA wrote at the time. So they, it was a, a good car for the customer because there was a lot of thought put into uh, uprights, dampers that fitted each corner to, to reduce the costs. Um, yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a decent enough uh, sensibly designed car, but the problem was that the, the other teams took it to the extremes and yeah, we, the Mini was not competitive. It was not competitive in gravel. It was closer on tarmac, especially with Danny Sordo. Um, yeah, I don't know if you remember, was it 2012 in Spain? He won, I don't know, nine or 10 stages, I think, with the, with the Mini. And yeah, when I moved, to, when I moved to, to Volkswagen, I kind of realized how underpowered the Mini was yeah. afterwards in, in hindsight. Yeah. And was that purely a backing issue that just... It, BMW didn't throw their full weight behind the program, really, that ProDrive weren't able to live up to the full potential of the car. Uh, the, the mini engine was probably a bit of a compromise because it was it was this global engine concept that the FIA had. So it was also going to be used in touring car at the time. Um, and it was, in comparison to the Citroen engine, it was, yeah, there was no comparison. I think this the BMW engine was based more heavily on road car block and cylinder head and things like that. And, uh, the the Citroen was not not like that. It was far more race engine. Um, yeah, so you're getting into differences in bore and stroke and efficiency and power and friction and yeah, it was it was. I think the Mini was yeah in the spirit of the regulations for customer cars, but yeah, mm. the others did a much better job and didn't care about customer cars. <laughs> even, even though I, I actually I need to look back here because I think the regulations at the time the car needed to be for sale so for sure the Fiesta was for sale at the time but I don't I don't remember any uh, any 2011 uh, DS3s around at that time <laughs> yeah but yeah for sure it's budget driver it's testing it's it's all these things that you know that really really matter in in this sport you know um, would you Sorry, go on. I didn't mean to stop. Sorry. If you have, a, I think, if you have a partial budget, uh, and you're only selecting certain rallies that your car could be strong, you know that your driver then he's also not match fit. He's not regularly driving, regularly competing, and this people probably underestimate this as well, and maybe they underestimate how difficult it is for drivers to, even young drivers, to get into a car and be competitive in comparison to the guys that are in the car every maybe every second week or maybe every week, even depending on how many testing days you're allowed by the FIA. Uh, it makes such a difference uh, to be match fitter. Yeah, so it's it's difficult. It was difficult at the time. Would you say that part of that was down to BMW as a company? I mean, it's not like they've got a particularly long history or, or, or glorious association with, with rallying as a, as a sport. You know, what, what was it like working with them or... or 
Was that something that you weren't particularly? Yeah, interested in? I, I was. I was in the, the uh, still in the customer department, so I wasn't so much in the in the, the works the works team. But obviously, you you kind of knew what was going on. I they liked the idea of the mini and the mini countryman. I think, but they their it was never a hundred. It was never hundred percent backing. I think uh, ProDev was probably trying to gain more interest for them and also try to get some sponsorship uh, at the time to make it work. Um, but it was, yeah, it was difficult. It was, mm-hmm. in the end, it proved impossible, I think. Um, and you had kind of one shot at it because, you know, the championship was started and, you know, manufacturers, when they start racing each other and we have a decent budget and you have good drivers, I mean, they, they run away then, you know, and you, you're trying to keep up even though you're just doing partial events and stuff. It's, yeah, it's yeah. difficult. I can imagine there's that pressure to uh, to, to, to take advantage of a, a new rule reset in any mm. motorsport discipline, you know, because your chance yeah. of a, a complete upset of the order is is greater than yeah. any other time. Yeah, and Malcolm uh, and M Sport and Malcolm, they do a really good job every time of this. I mean, uh, yeah. the Fiesta, the first Fiesta that came out when they changed, so 2011 was a great car. Mm-hmm. If you look again, uh, when Ogier was there in 17 with the the, the reset, then again. Yeah. So a similar engine, okay, but it was the same global engine concept, but bigger restrictor, but the Aero had come in, another good car that he built. And look now in Monte Carlo with, uh, with not just Loeb, I mean, not just Loeb. Look at, look at, uh, look at the car looks easy to drive in, in Monte Carlo. It looks balanced. It looks like it's working. And the, with not a lot of testing by any of the drivers, they're all pushing, you know? Yeah. Gus Greensmith won a stage. Uh, Craig looks like he did a decent job. Uh, and um, Loeb is the king. <laughs> and this is our, our event with different tyre mixes as well, with uh, pro, you know, the different tyres per corner. Yeah. Well, the Puma still looked really planted and easy to drive yeah. compared to definitely to Hyundai as well, obviously. It was yeah, yeah they, have a good, they have a good chance then again this year like to, to push it and before, because you, you need the budget to keep up with the others, I think, you know, with the rate of development and refinement that they, that they can do. So for sure, it's a good chance for Ford this year now when they already have a good car that's easy to drive. And I mean, if you look at some of the footage and some of the videos, they're pushing so hard with a, you know, like Loeb, not a lot of testing. He's match fit for sure, because he came from, I don't know, 4,000 stage kilometers from Dakar, but a different road to Monte Carlo, let's say. But uh, yeah, car looks good. He's done it again. He's done it. And, uh, you know, if you look back, uh, the O3 Focus was a revolutionary car with the inclined damper. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this was one of the first really, you know, before that, it was fairly traditional car with the the damper position on top of the upright above the drive shaft. And then this was the first one. Uh, the O6 car, another revolutionary car where it took the some of the concepts of the, the O3 car. To, to the limit where they where they position the spare wheel the battery I mean fantastic ideas um, yeah and all presumably while with with a more modest budget than the opposition at all times I think so yeah mm-hmm. I think so yeah and maybe it budget is not everything I think you know it's as we found out I think maybe people uh, think that we had huge budget in in Volkswagen we had a good budget um, but what we had was we had good drivers, of course, but we had really good people in in the factory. Really good people. That was, I think, that was the making of the the, the whole uh, era there. Um, we're probably skipping forward a little bit now. Maybe we should go back. Um, yeah. So that was Mini and Prodrive, and then 
I had started to get a bit itchy feet, I think, with ProDrive. Um, so it was six years in the customer department there. Um, cars were getting old, uh, wiring loom problems. You know, the cars were going into teams that had less and less budget and the maintenance was less and less. And it was, it was yeah, difficult. You know, you, you went to an event, but you might have two days, two long days and nights in a workshop trying to get the car running first before the event. And I was starting to look around a little bit, look at circuit racing, um, look to America to, to, you know, to look at some teams there and things. And I had a friend that had left uh, ProDrive. Um, so Ogier's engineer in the end for the four years for his championships, uh, Gerard Yandeyong. And he, had, he was in ProDrive also. And he had moved to Volkswagen for, with Nasser Aletia for Dakar. And he said, uh, it's, it's good here. It's a good team, good atmosphere. Um, and they're looking in the future to maybe go to rallying. This was, I don't know which year this was, maybe 2010 or 11. And he said, you should send me your CV. So I sent him my CV and I never thought much more of it. Um, and I had been, you know, like I say, looking around for, for other jobs, even circuit racing and stuff to see, to try something different. And I got a call out of the blue from uh what turned out to be like my boss for all the years in volkswagen motorsport but uh, he was also the yari matty lapfellas engineer fabrice and i got a call from him saying um there's a, there's a job here uh, are you interested i said yeah sure uh so we arranged an um, interview uh just after rally sweden and then with prodrive it turned out that i actually had at last minute there was a call up to go to sweden with a mini so I messaged uh, the guys at Volkswagen and said, I'll be, I'll be in the service park anyway. Do you want to meet there? And they said, yes, but we'll keep the, the interview the week after as well. So I met with them. Um, and no, the, the consensus at the time, so they had done Monte Carlo. They'd won the first stage with, with Ogier. And uh, I forget how many seconds now, but it was, yeah, it was enough, I think, because it was a lot of hard work. To build that car up and all the testing there was a grueling testing plan and budget and everything it was it was hard for the team i think to to get the car to monte carlo people don't realize how much work went into it um so they were nervous they had no idea how fast the car was either okay everyone was a bit apprehensive about it and the the targets the public targets that they said were real they said you know when stages the first year when rallies the second year and win the championship the third year that was realistic targets that they set themselves. Oh. So they had no idea what they had built either. You don't know until you go racing, I think. You can think and theorize and plan and test, but in the end, you need to put the stickers on the door and you need to see how fast you are against the others. So that, that was, uh, they were after a good event in Monte Carlo. They were second with Ogier against Loeb, who was yeah in his prime, let's say, or at almost the peak of his career. Um, then I met them in Sweden and at that point I think that there was a big fight between Ogier and Loeb uh, and when I met them Ogier had just kind of pulled ahead and he was really getting into his stride with the car and he was pushing and so they were when I met them they were all smiling and happy but the fight was still was still on um, I had a good good meeting with them uh, I went the next week and I met uh, FX just FX on its own I think everyone was a bit caught up with the flu after Sweden. They were all, they were all in bed um, straight after that next week. And I had a good meeting with FX. Um, and I think he could see that I was really keen. That was difficult for me to hide it because, you know, it's, 
you can be in this business a long time as a race engineer, rally engineer, and it's not often that the, the full works factory jobs come up. You know, it's, it's not often. It's difficult to get into there. You know, you need some experience. It's also a little bit who you know. It's the, the nature of a lot of businesses. So, but FX, I think he could see that I was keen and I'm sure whatever salary they put on it, I was probably going to accept it. So I, he actually invited me to come around the workshop and have a look. And I remember he said at the very beginning, we were looking at the car and he said, yeah, he said, there's nothing revolutionary in here. I just took the best ideas from all the others and tried to put them all together. And sounds like a it's, good a, it's a, yeah, it's a simplified way of, of looking at it. It's, it's for sure much more than that too. But uh, yeah, I just, I just remember his, his words at the time of the first, the first meeting with him in, in Volkswagen, but yeah, good. It was still at that time. I think the premises, the workshop design and everything was, coming out of Dakar and going into rally, it was not sure how to set up the, the system and things, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a good move. It was a really good move. When I, when I talked to them at that point, people still doubted Volkswagen's speed. I remember even in ProDrive, uh, the opinion was there that, you know, that the, they only know Dakar and they'll struggle in rally and it will take them a long time to, to figure it out. But I think what people probably didn't realize is that the team had been built up was so uh, diverse. There were so many nationalities. I think it was 24, 25 nationalities. Um, it was a bit of a switch probably with Rally in that company because before that, the company language would have been German. And then with Rally, with all of the, the new people coming in, it was a, a gradual switch to, to English. More and more departments were, were, let's say, communicating with each other through English. Um, it was a really good bunch of mechanics from all over the world. Um, engineers were from everywhere as well, I think. And yeah, it was the beginning of something pretty, pretty unique, I think. Yeah. And the good thing is we knew it when we were there. We didn't look back afterwards and think, oh, they were the best years. No, when we were in there, we, we knew that they were probably the best years of our, of our, of our let's say, motorsport careers. Um, I mean that was going to be my next question. I mean, it, from, from the outside, it seemed at the time that this was a team that was doing everything absolutely properly, you know, you know, whether that was mm -hmm. testing to the nth degree or whatever. And I was going to ask whether you're aware of, of, of feeling at the time that you were involved in a team that was doing, going about something proper way, considering Volkswagen's. I mean, you knew, you knew, everyone knew, I think that, you know, with the, with the Skoda program, this was, for many reasons, this was there was really a genuine uh, test for young drivers to evaluate them, how they deal with not just not just pace, but everything, you know, communication with engineers, a feedback from car, uh, how they manage tire choices, how they manage problems on event. Uh, it was it was a good good way to evaluate it, but you know, not many people probably have the, the budget to do it in this way. Um, there was an there was a beginning of a development on dampers on the on the Skoda, but you know, a lot of it maybe more for reliability than actual settings. Um, but yeah, the Super 2000 car was very, very different to the WRC car. So it's mm -hmm. it's not easy to test a lot of things on there. It was a way to get Ogier to sign him that he could be match fit. And he, wow, he, he worked so hard in that 2012 year because he was driving all the time. He was driving the test car. Uh, so the Polo, he was driving the Super 2000 testing and Super 2000 rallies. He did some crazy kilometers that year. He worked really, really hard 
I think you could see it maybe also in his his drive in 2013 because he put so much work into into the whole thing. That, yeah, he was he was truly truly motivated. I think. Um, but it was you knew that that was going on. I mean, they had a good budget. They had a fantastic marketing uh, department. You know, creative. They changed, I think, a little bit the way the way rally was brought to the to the to the, to the public a little bit. You know, with the little Facebook videos, and they were short and funny, and there was a, a lot of. I think there was just a lot of good concepts coming coming all together. It was the perfect storm, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the reliability much. was probably a reliability with the team was maybe one of the best things. And I've heard this from other drivers that have moved on as well. So everyone has problems. You know, rally is really tough. You know, uh, it's tough on all components on the car, on on the design team, on reliability, on failures. So the with Wolfsburg it was good because we had a fairly good failure analysis. Um, what they could tell us was sometimes really, really helpful. So it helped with the response to problems. And yeah, well, like I said, from, from drivers that have moved on, I've heard like that we had a problem and it was diagnosed. It maybe it didn't come for the next rally, but it was really looked at properly and it was fixed the first time. It didn't happen again and again and again. So the reaction to problems was another really good, strong point with Volkswagen Motorsport, I think. It was, yeah, it was good. Did the uh, the initial testing phase throw up any hard and fast issues with the car? Was there anything that was particularly tricky to overcome prior to twenty thirteen? Uh, I moved. I moved with. So I moved for my role was with Andreas Mikkelsen for the third car, and he was coming along in Portugal. So it was actually also Easter weekend uh, that I joined Volkswagen Motorsport two thousand thirteen. So I was I wasn't there for. The first three rallies and i wasn't i wasn't there for the testing but yeah you hear you hear a lot of the stories uh, from the engineers and mechanics i think about the the testing of the car the what what they say is that the car really came together i think in the last month or two before then nobody knew you know there was reliability problems there was uh, it's normal i think in development um and set up as well it was difficult to say where the car was or how how fast the car was but yeah it seemed to just come together in the last uh, weeks and months and yeah at one point uh, before the homologation process you have to sit down and you have to homologate some differentials some some ramps so you know, <laughs> after all the testing uh, it's difficult you need to do some kind of a evaluation or some kind of a matrix to say i think it's these ones and you have to you have to put it down, you know. <laughs> but you put it down for the you put it down for the whole year. So you have to you have to think about it. You know, you can't take it back out again. Gotta be happy with those ramp angles. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I think yeah, it just it came together towards the end. I mean, there was yeah, still some problems on the rallies. Uh, Portugal, when I joined that time, we had some drive shaft issues and things. Um, uh, we were down in the Algarve then, and there, there's some of the stages had a lot of bedrock. So you had the, the loose gravel, but then you'd go on to the bedrock and the, the Michelin tire was good for puncture protection, but it was the sidewall was rock solid. So you had, yeah, you ended up uh, hopping on top of this bedrock and it was, it was really, it was difficult for every component. I think the shock loading on the drive shaft on and off, the bolts coming loose, it was, it was hard. 
Um, and you can test all you like, but in the end, uh, when you put when you put the stickers on the on the door, you have the real problems usually. Yeah. Plus, you can probably do all the R and D you you want, but in the the battle between suspension upright and bedrock, there's only ever going to be one winner in the end, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we did. Yeah, this that was probably one of the tougher events. I think second pass down in the south in the Algarve. Then that was that was rough at that point. But then they moved they moved north, and this the roads are a little bit softer up there. The weather is a bit different as well. It can be more damp and, and wet and things up there. So. I don't say it was easier, but it was less bedrock, at least. It was one problem less. Yeah, We, we went back there with the R5 car to test we, some of the worst uh, roads that we remembered from the rallies and things. We tried to find stages with bedrock to, to test. It was, it was good to have that experience because it helped to build a, a good R5 customer car afterwards. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, yeah. So the testing, I, like I say, I wasn't there so much, but I think it really just all came together at the very end and then it was snowballing from there by the time i arrived it was already this so they'd won mexico they'd won sweden uh and they'd when i arrived my first rally was portugal and they they, they also went on to to win this one um and second in monte carlo i think by then people had kind of seen and accepted okay this is something different here to come and to build a car from scratch and to dominate like this, this was something that had never been done. No. Many teams had entered rally and failed. Many teams had entered and took a while to win. Um, yeah. And was it hard then for, you know, you joined a team that, that had gone into the championship with a fairly realistic expectation, as you say, and then to come out fighting so strongly, I presume, actually trying to dampen levels of excitement almost within the team must have been a challenge to, to keep I, head I and keep yeah. going. I w excitement is maybe the wrong word. Um, I think I think sub it wasn't even spoken about so much, but subconsciously everyone knew. Okay, this is something we need to really like. It it gave people energy. It gave people motivation. I think that they really they you know not that they were not working hard beforehand, but I think they saw okay this we might not have this next year rally is fucking difficult like it's really yeah. really difficult sport like so you know someone might come with something better next year or there's a different driver or you know a combination that works even better or, or maybe the tire manufacturer changes and it doesn't work for your car you know it takes you a while to get on top of things so yeah. people realized we're we could be onto something this year and it just gave people more more energy more power more motivation to to push more um i mean it's not like Volks, the budget was the budget. Volkswagen didn't change so much after that, but uh, the testing didn't increase. For example, the the methodology of things didn't didn't change so much. Um, one thing that was different, I think, in Volkswagen, maybe maybe it began with the the preparation year or year and a half that they had, but. There was a good test plan every test. You had some problems for sure, but it. Um, you never, you never were trying to set up the car or solve major problems on on the tests. It was the test plan was more or less written and it was followed fairly fairly well. You had, you know, different damper curves to, to test or whatever, and they were evaluated. But you weren't building dampers on the on on the, in the back of a truck on the event because you had a problem. You know, um, 
And maybe it was the year, year and a half buildup that, that helped this process. But that pr process followed on for the, for the four years in rally. Uh, and I think it, 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 it was a good, a, good, uh, a good policy. But maybe you, need, maybe you need that year to be advanced in the first place. Uh -huh. I, can't, I can't say that on that one. But the structure for, for the whole team was good, I think. Um, you had Jost at the, at the top, and he was you know, so motivated himself, and his motivation rubbed off on everyone else. And he, he was always fighting for us in, in Wolfsburg to get, to get us what we needed. Um, you had Sven Smeets, the team manager, yeah, really good guy, people person, uh, you know, really watching everyone, watch and caring, I think, as well, you know, yeah. caring about everyone. Uh, yeah, FX on the, on the technical side of it, like he's, yeah, he's exceptional, a guy, I think, uh, from the technical level, like he's a really, really clever guy um, and keeps things simple, you know, doesn't complicate things so much, like um not big for the limelight or anything you know not looking for the attention he just loves the sport and loves rally i think and he he should be proud i think with the, the car that he built in all those years because it was something something pretty pretty special that's for sure um yeah and all the, you filter it all the way down like the the race engineers the engine engineers uh, the mechanics uh, everyone in the team but i think it was a really good team atmosphere because everyone is happy in their role and their job. You know, they weren't looking ahead to try to get the next position so much. They were happy with their position and there was not so much change actually in those four years, to be honest. And maybe this is also a bit the, the reason why it was so successful, but it was a good car, really good drivers, of course, but yeah, there was a really special bunch of people as well, a bunch of guys, you know, it must, have been yeah. it must have been satisfying on some level dethroning Citroen as well after so long. Yeah, they, they, I think after Finland, maybe they maybe accepted it. But before then, I remember on the, we were on the recce in Finland and the Citroen engineers were, uh, we met them beforehand, you know, you, there's some rivalry and some, some discussion and stuff. And, but yeah, you know, normal, normal playground stuff, I think. But yeah, we came to uh, around Yamsa, I think, and it was, yeah, we're going to uh, Onimpoya stage. And they, they were telling us, uh, you know, as, as if we had come from, yeah, the DTM circuit racing or something, <laughs> they were telling us, this is a proper stage now. I said, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, I remember Ogier, that he destroyed him. He destroyed everyone in Onimpoya that year. Like, wow, it was really, really on it. Uh, and I think after that, it, things changed. The next, the next recce was a bit different. Um, I mean, but yeah, that, I mean, they, they had years of domination as well. That they had nine. Was it nine years? I think before yeah. that. Yeah. No. And it was a combination of driver and car and good team and and the uh, the team was built up around that guy. Then you know around Loeb then. Uh, they had it. They had it all before us. I, I did wonder. Um, I mean, it's not like they had any. Go on, no, I, I did wonder with that season, would Loeb, you know, because he's only signed on for a partial kind of drive, and like, would he have done a few more events, or did he say, mm, "Okay, looks like I'm not going to be able to do it this year"? Yeah. Presumably, <laughs> if 
if he'd done well and and maybe OJ wasn't quite putting it to him, if he'd gone to Citroen and said, yeah, I'll crack on, let's go for number 10, he would have done it or he would have been allowed to, certainly. But um, Yeah, they would, have, they would have found the budget, I'm sure, if he said he wanted to drive more. I think uh, at the time he was their, their golden goose, you know, his nine championships with them. And yeah, I'm sure they would have found the budget if he wanted to. So maybe it was down to his decision. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think, would it have stopped Ogier that year? No. 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 I mean, it's no, not that's... even like there was anywhere to hide, was it? I mean, the, 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 there was only so much sort of dancing around the point that Citroen could have done. I mean, it was a fundamentally better car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, FX is probably right. It was really a combination of all the good things of all the others. Um, yeah, it was It was a good car, for sure. It was a good car. But uh, Ogier also, he was at one with that car that year. You know, he was really, really dialed into it. His setup changes from the beginning of the rally to the end were not so much. Um, there was, I think we had qualifying in 2013. So we had the qualifying, uh, shakedown qualifying stage. So that was also helping, I think, once you had good weather weather information to help choose your road position and good experience from what happens with the road evolution, mm-hmm. um, which they had from the Skoda years also. That was also a bit part of building up a database for what to do. Um, yeah, I that was his year. He was, I mean, they, they were all his years, but he was really impressive that year. Really, really impressive that year. Well, I mean, that was nine wins in 13, wasn't it, for OJ yeah. that year? And oh, 10 wins overall for the Polo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Yadimashi in Greece, wasn't it, I think? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, what a year. Um, and it kind of continued from there. I think the regulations yeah, and, the, and the FIA for the sport, they tried to rein him in a bit i think he was particularly dissatisfied with the regulations where he had to open the road for for two days this mm-hmm. was in 15 i think it was mm-hmm. um but even that didn't stop him because the 15 car was even better than the 13 car um it was more than just like a bit of a sticker a sticker change that there was a fundamentally uh, it didn't look so different from the outside but underneath it was a good a good evolution step and it was enough to to somehow still maintain touch with the leaders after day one and throughout a bit of day two uh, so that he could sometimes he was end up leading the rally already halfway through day two would you say that was the biggest sea change in terms of polo development between 14 and 15 the off season yeah, there was not, not so much between 13 and 14. Um, some small stuff, but no, no, not so much. I think also all of us learning the window of the car, where it works, and the driver and our feedback. And yeah, 13 for, for all of us, I think. You know, probably the concept of the car and the design right height, we ended up running a bit higher than where we had originally planned. But yeah, I think drivers and engineers, you kind of you're always you're always learning the car. You don't really stop at that so much. But 15 was a fairly fairly big change. Um, even the drivers in the testing, it took them a little bit to to figure out. It was a bit. It had a wider window once it was set up well, mm-hmm. but to get to get in there in the window was a bit more difficult to understand, coming from the knowledge from the older car. Um, it was more sensitive, let's say, to, to to some changes. But once the balance and the setup was kind of found, it had a bigger operating window by itself than for road condition, weather, tires, etc. It was better on tire wear than the other car. It was a bit less understeer than the other car. 
um, less compromises on the setup, I would say. Could you put your finger on why that might be the case or the track? That, what was the, the biggest single development that, that were between 14 and 15? Because the rules were quite, technically, were fairly... Yeah. Uh, I, I, do, I do, but I'd, prob I'd probably I'd rather not say. <laughs> More yeah. than fair enough. Yeah, even <laughs> though, you know, the, 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 the company is closed and, and everything else, but I think I'd, I'd rather not. More than understandable. Not. Yeah, just even <laughs> nice to leave some messages. Yeah. 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 It was an edgy but, polarizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but it was, yeah, they're both two, two generations there, but they were both fantastic cars. I mean, and the reliability was good. Um, Yari Matty got to grips in 14 with the, with the car. He struggled a bit maybe to understand it in 13. 14, he understood it a bit more. And maybe accepted it a bit for what it is rather than trying to change it towards fiesta direction and he that could have been his year i think in in, in 14. Mm -hmm. um maybe Great. germany germany when og was already off the road and then he was he was leading the rally that was probably the championship changer there because if he had taken maximum points there plus some power stage points and og not so much he could have walked away with 25 to 28 points. I think it was three three points for the power stage then. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that 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 could have been his year. I think because he understood the car better and he was he was really impressive that year in uh, 14 in Finland. I think it was yeah. yeah. He was leading really the way through, wasn't he? And then I, th I think he yeah. had a slight mistake quite late on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but he, was he had um, yeah. So he he worked really hard for it. I think, and I remember him on. Sunday, he had, a, he had a problem with the car. Um, he thought it was differential, but in the end, it wasn't so much differential. It was more to do with the, the brakes and the brake pipe. Um, he figured out the problem, but by then, Ogier had smelt blood. He could, it wasn't so far away. He turned, out, turned it up instead of driving a bit safer uh, to reel him in a little bit. And it was maybe down to 10 seconds at one point, I think. But I remember Yadi Mashi, he was like... Uh, beyond motivated because he said I, I have worked so hard for this rally i prepared so much for this rally and it's mine and I, he's not taking it away from me and you know it was really fired up and i was thinking like you know if, if the motivation was for every rally like that you know he, he could be he could be world champion yeah but you know it it was really difficult against og uh, with with mickelson you know he was up and coming and learning the first uh, two years and then we're fi figuring out as well how to how the other guys were so fast the videos were not on uh, was not on live or um, you know wrc plus then so you couldn't see how the other guys were driving so much um but he, yeah trying to figure out where they put their resource and their time and how how they not just the setup and things in the end the setup with all three drivers was not so far away a uh, little bit on right height a little bit on robot roll bars differentials were a little bit different the first year or two but when the 15 car came along the differentials were the ramps were really close for them um yeah the in the end, the, the setup was really, really close on for all of them. Not so much different. A little bit driver preference and how they were using the car. You know, Latvala uh, was probably maybe the most sideways. Uh, Auger, the straightest car. Mickelson somewhere in between, depending on the corner of the stage, the rally. Um, but it was, for me, that working with Andreas that time, it was nice because 
I, I was also a young engineer, you know, coming from more customer background. So this level of operating with the team, I was the engine engineer, the chassis engineer, the mechanic sometimes, the tire choice, uh, team manager even in customers. You know, when, when there's a problem, uh, you go to scrutineering, you, you do everything. And in, in a full works team, you're concentrating on your car, your own car, your chassis. You have an engine engineer, you have a performance engineer, you have an electrical engineer. And you report the problems and they, they solve them a lot of the times, you know. Um, so you have much more focus with the performance of the car and the performance of the driver. And that's the part of the job that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I liked work. I like working with with drivers. Doesn't doesn't matter full works or amateur. You know, I like working with drivers, and I like to help them to understand the car and to become faster. You know, I like to see them happy. I like to make some progress with them. Um, so that was a really good four years at Mickelson. Um, we became quite close, good friends, uh, still are to this day. Um, and it was yeah, like you can imagine. You know. Ogier was in his absolute prime in the car that he loved and he was dominating. So for, for Andreas to shine there, it was, it was difficult, you know? Um, yes, the car was good, but he was still relatively young. He had a lot of years in good cars. And I don't know if it's always the best to have such an early start in such good cars. Uh, I, there's two, two schools of thought, I think, you know, some people think that you need to put them, in the, in the big machinery quickly and let them learn the rallies and let them get on with it. I, I think I'm a little bit more the, the other side so that the, the smaller cars with less power, you feel a mistake on a corner with the driving, I think much easier because, you know, you lose 500 RPM on the, on the engine and the car is so slow that it hurts because you feel like you're not going anywhere. Um, so I, I think that's maybe a, a better school for, for younger drivers. But, you know, the, these days, it's hard to say that even now the cars have evolved again now with the high, high, uh, hybrid cars, how relevant and how easy it is to go from R5 to this car. I think it's a big step mm-hmm. from R5 to the previous generation with the aero and the power that they had. Massive step, I think. It's too big for me. Um, I did uh, with Johan Christofferson, I did Finland, uh, when was it? Finland 2019, I think. And it was the first time I had seen the, the, the new generation car, the one that we built that didn't drive. So I hadn't seen them on the stages. And they, they came and wow, like the corner speed uh, where you thought they should be breaking and dipping into the corner. They were just flat. They were just flat through everything. Um, the grip that they had the grip that the tire had and the damage that the tire and the car did to the road. Yeah. So like shakedown for an R5 car after the WRC cars, it's already destroyed. But first pass in Finland for the R5 cars, your right height is so high because the WRC cars then they generate so much grip mm-hmm. with the aero that they're destroying the road. So, and then the speed difference was really shocking for me, the difference between the R5 and the WRC. And, and you could tell because the spectators, after the WRC cars went and the first R5 car came, they were on the move. Maybe it's more apparent in Finland, uh, the difference in speed, because, yeah, it's, you know, it's Finland is Finland. But, yeah, it was, it, I think it's too, too much for me. For I don't know how, maybe either 
the top level has gone too far or the R5 needs to come further. I'm not sure how you merge that, but it's a big step for young drivers now to go from one to the other. For me anyway. So that's it for part one of episode one of Rally DNA. Join us next week where we finish our interview with Richard Brown in part two.